the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware, where our mission is to inspire and enable all young people, especially those who need us most, to reach their full potential as productive, responsible, caring citizens. Now, please enjoy the podcast. The Boys and Girls Club has helped me through a lot. Welcome to the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware podcast, a show where I sit down with the past and present to talk about their journeys and how much the Boys and Girls Club has had an impact on their lives. It's helped me by providing me with a safe haven. I used to be very reserved, very quiet, very shy. But when I walked into the Boys and Girls Club, I had people there who cared about me and who cared about my life. And that, that made a really big impact on me. I'm your host, Blake the Brain, and this is a podcast about the people for the people. We got to talking, Dave. Listen, I, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware podcast. I'm here with an amazing guest. Now, Dave, when I had to do some research on you, mm-hmm. when I was like, this guy did all of this? This guy is amazing. Now, before I dive into what you have done in all of these things that you have encompassed in your career, in your lifestyle, please tell the people who you are. Uh, I, um, I think I st- I'll, I'll backtrack by saying I'm one of 14 children. Right. I have eleven. I have eleven brothers uh, and two sisters. Uh, two brothers. Uh, one passed in 1985, and one passed last year. They were both Vietnam veterans. Mm, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was a really. Uh, uh, it gives me a real feeling for our leaders in our country when it comes to our military and those that really sacrificed so much for us. Oddly enough, it happens to be close to Memorial Day right now. Mm. Uh, but coming from a family that didn't have much it i also recognized the people that were there to help us and 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 there wasn't many i think a lot of times people look on the sideline and, and either ridicule or degrade people that you know in this case having 14 kids and and i i would i could see people being judgmental and i thought you know i'm going to do something when i you know i'm going to achieve something in my life but at the same time i'm going to make sure i bring others along with me and so when i do things and i think a lot of it is my, my christian faith uh, i grew up uh, as a child um, at a Pentecostal church, and we used to jam, and and and, uh, and we used to go out, and, and, and the big thing about the church was helping people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the four walls of the church. It was going in the community and making a difference in people's lives, and so I remember uh, my mom ended up becoming a bus, bus pastor where she would go around the communities and meet with the different communities, and we would go into the low-income communities, and the families were struggling like ours was, Right. And my mom would bag, like, buy a bag of lollipops, and we would hand them to the other kids and say, if you come on Sunday, we're going to stop at the ice cream store afterwards and get ice cream. So it was a great way um, for us to uh, evangelize and reach, and, and most importantly, give other people hope. Absolutely. That, yeah. Listen, I, that was great. I, I have so many questions just off of that. We didn't even get into the <laughs> intro. I didn't, listen, I'm here with, um, he is the, the first Delaware boxing champion. He has been voted 50 most influential people in Delaware um, in the last 50 years. I mean, so many accolades. I'm here with the one and only Dave Tiberi. Welcome to the show. I don't know if you have Thank, you. Look, look, Thank look, you. We didn't even get into the introduction. <laughs> like you said, I mean, you, you're back. Let's just get into your background. Like you said, you were one of 14 children, mm-hmm. 11 brothers. How was that growing up, first and foremost? The question, like with, your, with, your, with, your, with your siblings? Yeah, well, well, the joke is that we used to go to boxing. Uh, we go to boxing cards, and we would... Uh, all show up and and the joke was the promoter would say as long as the Tiberi boys are here we're gonna have a full card. <laughs> so, so we it wasn't it wasn't. And you're the youngest, right? And I'm the youngest. So, wow. so how'd you get into boxing? I said I had seven older brothers that were boxers. So you know we, I, I had no choice. Actually, the toughest competition I, I growing up I always said this was my own siblings because we were so competitive with right. one another. And uh, 
And I remember I could not really leave the gym crying. And I used to get frustrated. And I was like, if I go home crying, then it's going to get worse. So I, I just, it, it made me tougher. But I learned a lot from their styles. And they were very disciplined. I learned a lot about diversity. Uh, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're a boxer, you're in camps with guys from all over the world. And so, you know, some of my best friends, Bernard Hopkins, he, he lives it. I always try to take the credit for him moving to Delaware, but, uh, but he and I are good friends and camp together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, uh, but it's, it's been a blessing that, that um, with the, to your question about 11 children, is uh, 11 siblings is, I should say 11 brothers. And 11 brothers. I don't want to leave my sisters out because my sisters were actually had it tougher than anybody because the one sister was number seven and the other sister was number 14. Wow. So, uh, you know, we didn't know we were poor. I mean, you, you just work hard, and, and uh, you only know what you know at the time. But then as you get older, you're like, wow, you know, those experiences uh, are helping me in so many ways in the, in the outreach and the things that I do today. Absolutely. I mean, you're doing so many things today. Like you talk about the outreach. I don't even, like I said, when I was doing research on you, I was like, wow. This is going to be an amazing interview. This guy's amazing. I mean, as soon as you walked into the room, you brought the energy. I'm like you. I like to bring high energy. And then I shook your hand. I was like, this guy still feels like the champ. And you're still working out now. I take it, right? Just don't ring any bells. <laughs> no, right. I, yeah, ring. I, I yeah. still work out now. To your, up to your question, I still work out now. I, I get uh, men and women together and just just um, gives me a great opportunity. Uh, I go to Widener University, the psychiatry program, which they work with the caseworkers. I certify caseworkers in... Uh, self-defense uh, I'm a big fan of not teaching uh, I'm a big fan of teaching how to communicate from 20 feet not two feet mm. how to communicate because when you get in somebody's zone there can always be a problem and right. so the more we learn to communicate instead of dictate or you know whatever word people want to use I'm a big fan of communication and I always like to teach that learning body language and I learned that a lot through Widener in her psychiatry program because Dr. Gibbings was incredible she would talk about how you can start diffusing things from 20 feet. And, that, and a lot of times that's in, even in our own relationships. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you bring, you bring a problem home from work and next thing you know, it becomes your girlfriend or your wife's problem or vice versa. And kids' problem. Kids' and, problems, yeah. something. So just learning how to, how to say, you know, learning to calm things down before it starts, you know. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm like, listen, I told you this is going to be a great interview. I'm already excited. I'm looking, <laughs> look at the ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a great interview, I already can tell. <laughs> so I know we talked a little bit, going back to the beginning. Um, how I was growing up and you had a great career even up to this point I know you had ERP but before we even get into that I think like you talked about boxing a lot right mm -hmm. and I said you was the first Delaware champion and that was news to me you know what I mean um, but I think we're going to talk about quote-unquote the decision right yeah. and doing research on you I found out you know when you're a boxing champion you was fighting um, over in Atlantic City mm -hmm. who, who was it it was he was the champion at the time you both were welterweight uh, James Tony, James uh, Tony, yep. James Tony, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and it and it was, they they deem it as uh, uh, the decision, but which changed boxing forever. That and one of the most uh, they talk about most crucial, um, what's the word? I would think they uh, they, call it, they it would label it the most controversial, most controversial. And, I couldn't think of it. Look, uh -huh. I'm so excited. I can't even think about it. The most controversial decision that actually changed boxing. I mean, you had people who were fighting for you. The now President Biden, yeah. and you had uh, Senator Roth and Sub Carper. So many people fighting for you when that controversial decision happened. But I was reading a quote that you said uh, when they announced that um, you weren't the winner, you were expecting to be the new champion. And then when they said, the, and still, you said you, had, you questioned God at that moment. And, you, uh, you and, and, yeah. and at that moment, of yeah. course, I mean, absolutely, you know, things have, you know, yeah. after you realize some things, is when things settle. But how has that point 
uh, that quote unquote loss actually propelled you into who you are today? Yeah. Well, I didn't know at the time when it happened that it was truly God's plan. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I uh, fortunately grew up in, in, in an environment where, you know, that a lot of times we, we realize it's not our timing, it's God's timing. And mm -hmm. I lived that out. Um, and I remember in the ring that day, I just, I remember like I, I blanked out quickly when Michael Buffer made the announcement that, that I didn't get the decision. And, uh, and there was an uproar in the casino and, and a lot of Delawareans and Philadelphians and fans in front of the area came to support me. And I just remember that day. And, and then right after the decision was announced and Bernard Hopkins and, and Donald Trump, all these fans were at ringside and supporters were at ringside. And, uh, and Donald Trump, oddly enough, the, the two, the two, uh, the book that was written on me, the two guys happened to be Biden and, and Trump in the book. It's kind of odd. Think yeah. about that many years ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, he hosted a lot of the fights in the casinos, and he was a fan of the fight game. So, but at the, when the decision was announced, uh, I just remember I, went, I was stunned initially because Tony was sitting on a stool and they had to carry him out of the ring because he was injured. And um, I just remember saying, Lord, how could this happen? How could right. you let this happen? Because I thought this could be used not realizing his plan was so much bigger than mine. Absolutely. And I remember when the fans carried me out of the ring, and then as I was heading out of the ring, um, I remember my wife, and she said she doesn't remember saying it. She said it truly had to be God. She said, um, Dave, I did not say that. And, and I, I just remember her saying, which was comforting, this is not your plan, this is God's plan. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and she said, Dave, I did not say that. So we went back, went back and forth and, and debated about <laughs> right. it. But I said, you never win. So I said, all right, no, I said, but... I always remembered that, and I said, wow, that was such a comfort because I, I got in the way of Dave Tiberi after that decision in a selfish way, thinking it's me. It's about you. And right. then all of a sudden, it, it humbled me so quick when that comment was made, and she said, no, I never said that. So I said it had to be preordained because right after that happened, uh, Bob Arum of Top Rank Boxing, who was promoting the fight, immediately launched. I mean, he immediately had a press conference with me after the fight. And said we will not hold another. He said we are not going to hold a fight until you get a rematch with James Tony. Immediately then, Donald Trump had a press conference with me and said I will not hold a fight in any of my casinos until this decision is overturned. Yeah. Then there was millions of people that responded that were outraged on ABC Wild Water Sports. So I couldn't I couldn't have written a better script. U.S. Senator Roth from Delaware actually happened to be the head of the subcommittee on investigations which is the only body in the u.s senate could investigate the fight he said he wasn't the fight fan his wife was the fight fan she's a judge so i couldn't wow. have written this script right and so i knew at that time that this was not my plan this was part of a bigger plan to finally bring boxing into an era of all the professional sports because a lot of people through that fight a lot of people didn't even know that boxing is the only major sport that does not have a national commission. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't they don't they didn't know that, for example, when Mike Tyson was incarcerated and got out of jail, the promoter didn't fight him in a, in a state that was had a stronger license and he fought him in Tennessee, which was weak on rules. Right. So there was a lot of things that, that were I think exposed through all this. Um, and so then it when New Jersey wouldn't do anything, Senator Roth continued on with the subcommittee on investigations. When he, when he launched the investigation, the lawyers that were investigating the subcommittee on investigations were investigating the fight. They found out that the two judges that awarded James Tony the fight were unlicensed in mm -hmm. New Jersey. They found out that the referee was considered green and incompetent to do a championship fight. And in that fight, he deducted a point without a warning, which is, and that would have still gave me the fight. Uh, so a lot of the things, a lot of the rules are broken. 
And then what was really tough for me is if it wasn't for my wife, it would have been a lot easier to go back into the ring. But I was, I felt in my heart of hearts it wasn't the right thing to do at the time. And the more, the stronger stance I took, the more they went against me. So then Bob Arum, then the offer got over $1 million. Then he offered me $1 million and 2% of pay-per-view. Then it became a money issue instead of a moral issue. And that really fired me up. Right. And I was on uh, uh, CNBC with Tom Snyder. And, and so the more exposure I was getting on Sports Illustrated and all these other things, the more exposure I was getting, the more controversy it was brewing, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And But, you know, when there's darkness, you shine light. I mean, when, when and if we, what I did, what really inspired me was the number of boxers in, in our country, in our world, that suffer illiteracy. Through all this, I started seeing, wow, I'm representing a community that is really being targeted. Right. I mean, I was looking at this saying, God was using me at this time, moving ahead. We are in a society right now where these boxers, they couldn't read contracts. And so I ended up working with the subcommittee on investigations. And then within 10 years of the, the fight, then it led to the first ever boxing bill that was signed by President Clinton called the Ali Bill. And, uh, and, that, and it was incredible because, you know, they were saying, yeah, why wasn't it called a Tiberi Bill? I said, hey, man, I'm a fan of Ali. The bottom line is Ali stood by the bill. You couldn't get a better name in boxing or and outside of boxing than Muhammad Absolutely. Ali. So to be able to be aligned with guys like Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, some of the greatest fighters of all time, and doing the right thing to say, let's straighten this board up. Now, will I ever make the money that I turned down? No, I, I walked out at the peak when I was ready to start making a tremendous amount of money. And it, and um, But making it a money issue when you're doing things in the dark mm -hmm. and knowing it's wrong and, and not... And, and, and by no means, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I just knew that I had to be used at a time in a season that needed to be done. If not, fighters would still be affected today like they were back then. Okay. So, so, yeah, so there was a lot of good that came out of it. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes even in our boys and girls clubs and with our youth, you know, there's times in your life that you've got to take the higher road. And no matter what decisions that you make, you can never look back. You're going to say, I could have, I should have, I would have. But those mistakes, ultimately, when you're not making the right decisions, are going to haunt you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, wow. I mean, we need to go to commercial break. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have no sponsors yet. But, <laughs> but just from that to perspective, I had this thing called um, failures and goals. Our failure is dope, right? This, this concept that I have, um, basically, where we say that, you know, certain failures are, are actually the, the greatest adversary for your success because that's where you learn certain things and I always say sometimes things don't happen to you they're happening for you mm -hmm. such an example as you right I think that loss as you say like that was just that was just God that was God's plan mm -hmm. now how long did it take for you to realize that that was the plan and to kind of get over the situation and just kind of move your life in a different direction it was interesting I I I would. I was looking at. I had a, a baby at home, and I was looking at the economic millions of dollars. Like. Yeah, so I was looking at the economic side, and then I'm looking at an offer from Roy Jones, and we were looking at the guys at our time. That was the peak. That was the top guys in the world, and I'm there with them. I'm, I mean, I'm one of those three or four, and um, and I remember one day I threw my off my my sweatsuit on, and I went for a long jog, and and it really bothered me because I didn't feel the spark, mm. and I didn't feel the fire. And, and my buddies are like, get over the fire, man. Just go in for the money. I said, I would never do that to me or my fans. Mm -hmm. I would never do it to people that supported me. 
And then I realized, wow, that fire that I've always had to get there when I got there and, and that fire that kept me motivated. And um, it, was, it was tough because I, I come from a home where my father was, you know, some people call today very abusive. And um, so I remember those days and I'm like, you know what, I want, I want it better for my kids. I want it better. And, and then that, I was in that position right now. But I thought, wait, wait a minute. I'm not going to look short, short term. I'm, I know whatever I do in life, I'm going to do well because I've made my mind up. That's what I'm going to do. You have a choice in life. You could say, you know, if you put, you put yourself around, I mean, it creates opportunities for you. And I, and I knew that whatever I did, I did that in boxing. I put myself around the best in the world. Bernard Hopkins, Prince Charles Williams, Stevie Little, all become Bam Bam Hines. All, my team all became world champions because the Bible says iron shoppers iron. And I do it in business. You know, I'm, if somebody wants to go in a gray area, I don't want to go there. Hey, listen, everything to me is black and white. If, you, if you're going to do something, let's do it right and let's get it done right. And let's go. Yes, I'm going to outwork you, out hustle you. I'm going to do whatever I can to do it right. But at the same time, that everybody on the team wins. And that's that same philosophy I did in boxing. I carried into the business world. And we've been blessed. We've been very successful. Like mm-hmm. you said, you have been very successful using that same mentality. And I was, I was an athlete. I played college football. Um, at Delaware State University. Good size. A, a little bit. I, was, I used to be, like, huge. You know what I mean? But um, I don't want to be that as big. What coach did you have? Um, I was under two coaches. So, Coach Blackman and Coach LeVan. Al LeVan. Right. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, he was really, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he taught me so much about life. And that's why I tell you, that's what the true coaches are, is, mm-hmm. is the coaches who teach you about life. And at the time, you're an athlete. He used to talk for every, every practice for, like, an hour. And we used to start on our knees, but by the end of it, everybody's standing up. But he had so many good um, sayings, so many teachings that we say now and as adults, we're like, oh, we get, you know, we got it. But he would just say it too much. And then now it just really clicks. It's like boom, boom, boom. You know, like free lunch is still a dollar. Just penetrate it, right? Just penetrate it. You know what I mean? And I was always the type of person where I'm, I'm, I'm very philosophical and I'm thinking, you know, a critical thinker. So when people say certain things, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dissecting it. I'm taking it as a sponge and, and using it to so many forms of life. Just stuff that you just said, like how yeah. you use boxing to translate that into your success, into your mm-hmm. career, um, which we're going to go talk about right now. I know right now you have the emergency protocol. But before that, how did we get there? When you left boxing, where did you go? So... It was interesting because I sat with my wife, and, and fortunately, she was a dental hygienist. She she did she she made decent money, and so uh, but she then was she was a new mother, and so she really wanted to dedicate her time to our oldest, and um, and then we ended up three years later having our second child, and of course three years after that our third child. But early on, um, I think it was important for us to whatever decision we made, we made together, mm-hmm. and so we ended up. Um, she knew our love of TV. Um, I ended up. Uh, I, I, a friend, when I was 18, took me under his wing, and I was, uh, uh, I was blessed for 22 years as a talk show host, a local cable show. But what was neat is I learned so much about the TV business, and it was on local cable. So then I said, we, I gotta, I'm like very ambitious, and I'm like, I don't like how they're doing the production. I'm going to build. So the facility you're in today was a TV studio for many years, and so. We see a bunch of TVs in here now. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. I was like, I was like, whoa, is this the Pentagon in Delaware? What, what's going on here? Hold on, is that my house? <laughs> Wait, go ahead, I'm sorry. That's my house is my buddy's house. Uh, right. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we ended up we we uh, we built a TV studio, and when we built a TV studio, we started producing our own. Um, we did everything here, our own commercials, and 
by the time we, we realized there's things, seasons, I used the word earlier, there's seasons and everything. And I remember when cell phones at the time were coming out hot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and everybody started producing things on their own cell phones. So there was a time and season that we, we, my wife and I talked about. We're like, wow, you know, we started seeing the numbers dwindle. We started, because from the TV shows, we then started producing training videos, safety videos, interactive CDs, DVDs. We were doing, uh, we started doing national credit card commercials at the time that there was credit cards everywhere, companies around here everywhere. So we started producing some high level. We started doing a ton of political ads for both parties. And it was really, it was interesting. That was pretty draining because psychologically, I'm more of a positive person and, and I am, I don't like trashing things. And, and when in politics can get kind of, you know, dirty and, yeah, and, uh, and that's really hard for me. Uh, so, but from the TV end, it was such a great experience. And the experience that we had there, it was, uh, it was just, it was, I think it was good because we did so many things on our show. Our shows were built. My wife had a show called Delaware Women Weekly. She would interview poli- women politicians, women doctors, women housewives that, that really, you know, a housewife has the hardest job in America. And so we, we would have these shows and it was just such a great experience. And so as we were, we were doing the production side of it, we were like, wow, you know, we're starting to see this start to get cut off a little bit because we noticed the state stopped hiring us as much. And so I think people started doing it on their own with production and, and, um, and even though there's some great local production companies still here in Delaware today, we found for ourselves that um, we saw God open another door. And mm-hmm. since we already understood cameras and production, um, Colonel Allensworth, my little league baseball coach, had me come down to police academy and start training the crews many, many years ago. And um, so it really was fit for us to move into security. And so we started um, we started evaluating. How did that conversation go to what? Hey, what a, how was that conversation to transition to security? You're going to love this. Her father and grandfather both retired from that industry. Wow. We, so it was everything. It was just... I couldn't have... Goes back to God's plan. Yeah, exactly. The script. I mean, I get ahead of God and skin my knees up all the time. I make mistakes. I do things. But I always say, Lord, let me go before me because I... If when I go before him, I always do something stupid. I'll skin my knees up. And, and then I also be having being patient. As Lord, open the door you want me and not who, where I want to be in. Because if I pick the door to go in, I'm always going to probably make mistakes. But if, when I'm patient and I seek God's plan, he, he tends to be... He's, he's a faithful and good God. And so... Angela, my wife, was so supportive because she, her, her dad and grandpa, she grew up, she's our CEO, not by title only. She goes out on jobs. She does the infrastructure book work at the company. And what's neat about it is we've had our, our facility here, we've, we've met with leaders of the NAACP, ACLU, Police Chiefs Council. I want the community to buy into this. I, I have clergy here all the time. We call it camera-friendly schools. We call it camera-friendly communities. People want to feel safe where they are. Mm-hmm. We're not Big Brother watching. Our our goal was to do something good in the community. So if we a young boy's doing something stupid, maybe that clergy can look at the camera and know the kid and go talk to him. It doesn't have to be cops and this and that. It could it could get getting the community more in, in regards to our outreach and the things that we're doing. And it has been a blessing to see that the things that we've been involved with. We've been involved with with the center solving three murders, uh, where the families had closure. So those are the positive things that that you know that we do here. But so yeah, so that transition was uh, to your question. That transition was a lot easier only because I think too she understood what her father and grandfather did for all those years. You know, absolutely. So what what the, what's the security system that you do have? Do you is it how was it set up? Do you have cameras all around the city, all around? Like how was that set up? 
for, for yeah. layman terms for me. All right, so we, we don't do residential. We do apartment complexes. We do shopping centers. So if you think about, like, if I, if you, let's say you say, Dave, listen, I'm, I'm building uh, my podcast company now where, you know, we just bought a facility. We would come in and, and you would identify areas of concern. For example, the IT room is always an area you definitely want a camera because, God forbid, that's where you're storing all your, your servers and everything is going to be fed yep. there, your mm-hmm. books, your finances. So we look at areas, sometimes people like common areas, sidewalks, where uh, dumpsters are a big one because illegal dumping is so big. Uh, so we catch a lot of illegal dumping, uh, people coming up to other people's properties and using our dumpster. And so it's being able to identify areas on the property. And what we're finding out now, too, is access control has been a big seller of ours. We go into properties and apartment complexes. So that way, too, the, the uh, access control, uh, the organizations like the Boys and Girls Club, they could control what, what times, days, and nights people can come in. And then if somebody goes ahead and they move from the apartment, then they could just shut the key. Where if you have a regular key, it takes, you know, all of a sudden they lose it, you're stuck. Right. Now with the keys, you just shut it off and put another one. So that's why hotels, we're modeling hotels and you know, other facilities that have done it for years. And so the, the access control is a pretty neat thing, too, to tie in with what we're doing. But the monitoring is the fun part because the young people come here and they want to you know, they they sit here and, and they want to they learn how to check systems. They want to learn how to capture footage. And um, it's a fun business. We've, we probably right now deal with about 3,000 3, cameras daily that we feed in here. Wow, that's amazing! And look, like I said, folks out there, it is a complete control room. I thought I was like, you know, you watch like those movies, like Air Force One, and they'd be in there, got all the cameras and, and the Navy and all that stuff. That's what it looks like right behind us. Really? I mean, definitely congratulations Thank on you. that and building that. And I know we talked a little bit as far as like outreach, mm-hmm. you know, giving back to the community. I know you were on the board at the Boys and Girls Club. Are you still on the board still now? On the board, still yep. on the board now mm-hmm. on the Boys and Girls Club. So one thing about it, I mean, we talk, I mean, I could probably talk to you for hours just, no, this just picking your brain, asking mm-hmm. you questions, um, but I definitely don't want to hold you up too no, much. No, this is, this is enjoyable. Thank you. Okay. All right. So since you've given into everything, can I, can I get a loan? Nah, you're going to do it. No. It's just a go, right? It's a go. So with the Boys and Girls Club, I'm a proud um, alumni mm-hmm. of Boys and Girls Club of Delaware. You know, I grew up Jackson on, Street. Jack, Jackson Street. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you so, absolutely. And I was Brown. Yeah. And Jackson Street and Browns were so important. Frames as well. We're talking about the inner city, mm-hmm. the youth. I always tell people all the time, even my friends, we were just talking this morning. The Boys and Girls Club literally saved our lives because where we grew up, I'm a Section 8 kid. We grew mm-hmm. up in this type of neighborhood. You know, you like you said, mm-hmm. you grew up in rough neighborhoods and we, you know, income, income based, mo- mainly everybody on the block um, is income based Section 8 or whatever. And those type of neighborhoods, you need outlets. And the Boys and Girls Club was our outlet mm-hmm. for us. How important was it to you growing up at Jackson Street? Uh, it, was, it was really important. The, the Jackson Street, back then, uh, the downstairs, they converted into a boxing gym. So it allowed us to, uh, wow. not just us, but the many friends that I, that I you know, uh, through, through Wilmington, Newcastle, it, it drew, I think, a lot of people because they offered the boxing downstairs. But it allowed us to, at nighttime, to vet and go shoot hoops and do other things. Otherwise, we, there's a lot of kids. We could be on the streets and doing things we probably shouldn't be doing. And the, the club with... Giving us the structure, I think, is important. Where you have leaders in it, leaders in the clubs, such as Jackson Street, that really cared. And I remember Jimmy Langstra I bring his name up a lot for the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, Jimmy dedicated his life. I think he died at like 90 years old, but he was a legendary boxer. But he also encouraged the kids to go upstairs and be at the homework club and other programs. 
And I look at um, some of my friends now that are just retired from the Wilmington Fire Department and, and seeing the things that they've achieved. And um, they're like us. They're always like, wow, if the Jackson Street Club was not there, what would have happened to us guys? Because absolutely. we were knuckleheads. We would have done some stupid things. Right, absolutely. And, and our personalities were eight personalities. So, you know, we got when we did things, we got it done. And so that sometimes can be a negative if you're not in the right environment. So, right, right. Um, and I think the fact that they did care enough to be able to talk to us and encourage us. And it was interesting. It was a lot of volunteers at the time that were participating and, and of course, staff. So Absolutely. I mean, I mean. The staff was, I think, was the most underrated aspect of the Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. Because, you, I mean, you had people, and it wasn't like, in, in no shade to anyone who's working at the Boys and Girls Club right now or even back in the day. You know, it's not as if, you know, you're getting paid six figures. Like, you know, as far as the people who are really, you know, hands-on, the tutors and these type of, they're not getting paid six figures. And they're giving back just out of kindness of their hearts most of the time to some, you know, some kids who uh, were stubborn. You know, we don't we don't know at the time a kid who's eight, nine, ten years old, eleven, twelve, thirteen, you don't understand certain things about the world and that who's ever trying to feed into you is trying to give you something good for the world. You don't know at the time. You you realize later. You know yeah. what I mean? As you're growing into them and they just trying to sow those seeds into you. So it was so important. I mean, we had this thing called Smart Moves. I don't know if you remember Smart Moves. Mm-hmm. It was a lady named Miss Jill. And um like granted, like Browns Boys and Girls was on the north side. It's predominantly black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And she was this skinny white lady who came to the Boys and Girls Club who cared so much about us. Yeah. And we was like, wow, for her to come into the Boys and Girls Club, Browns. I mean, she's driving and coming into the And you probably saw that as a kid too, you know, which is really powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. And I seen her about three years ago for the first time since I seen her when I was a kid. And it was at a wedding. I was, you know, I did photography and video. I was doing a wedding. And I was like, Miss Jill. She was like, oh, my gosh, Blake. Oh, she even big up. And my sister was there with me, too. My sister loved her. So, and we was like, wow, like, you don't know how important Smart Moves was for us and what it did for us. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Boys and Girls Club has, has changed a little bit and has evolved a little bit now. Where do you see the Boys and Girls Club going to have these programs that can kind of give to kids even more to kind of propel them in different directions? Well, I, I think the... Um our society, and, and, and there's been a lot of pressure to COVID, I think, also was was a shocker to, to thousands of people just in our state, not let alone in the nation, as millions of people that were affected, and, and many families personally were affected. And, and when I looked at how the Boys and Girls Club, um, the programs such as the daycares and other programs that are valuable to families, young families, for example, um, you know, I, I think it's not just a kid at 18, but when you go to the Frames Club and you see that they're reaching, the, our clubs are reaching out to senior citizens and giving them, because there's a lot of seniors that are, are, are lonely, and then you go over there and you see them in a swimming pool swimming. And so being able to reach all, and I think that's, uh, it, they've always done a great job reaching youth, but to see that we're, we're going into the, the young families and, and, and now we're speaking into the hearts of young parents as well as their children, their babies. Mm-hmm. So being able to get the babies at a young age and, and really do what the Boys and Girls Club do well. And, and to those kids, they're being read to. They're being Imagine a kid by the time they're in kindergarten or first grade, and they're going to be equipped, and they're going to be ahead of others in their class because of our clubs. Absolutely. And then when you're, when you're um, in your later years, and you're in your 70s and 80s, and, and you're lonely, and you found, find a place that you can go, and the clubs have opened their doors. Like I use Frames as an example, and um, and the partnerships, like the Newark Club, the partnerships with like Caravel Academy and local schools. And we're in schools now where we're after school. We're not. You don't just have to attend a club or go to a club. We have after school programs, which I think is powerful. Now we're in the schools setting up programs, so when the kid doesn't even have to leave the school, right? 
I mean, it doesn't get any better to, to have the great local and national programs that the Boys and Girls Clubs offer, but now to be able to open that portfolio up and say, we're going to do more than this, and, and, and we're going to go into schools and into communities to impact them even more. Absolutely. Powerful. Uh, uh, like I said, I know you got uh, your time is very limited, but here's a quick question for you. Like you said, we have to get back and get to these communities. Um, what do you think that the community can do to help the Boys and Girls Club help the community? Uh, I think everybody there's there's three areas. It's um, I hope my old pastor say this, and he said everything that we do, and this is so true for our many clubs throughout the three counties: time, talent, treasure. We could every single one of us could do one of them, right? And right now, I, I serve on multiple boards of different organizations. I, I created a group called Donate Delaware, uh, where we we just raised over two million PPE since last March to get back to our communities. Uh, and all of us can do something. And so, if we look at time, talent, and treasure, and so I don't have time. Well, can you make a commitment of five dollars a month to our clubs? All right, uh, you have talent. You, you can't block one day a week out or every other week to do a homework club with a kid at a club. So there are so many ways. But if, if, if everyone would just take this home with them and say, hmm, time, talent, treasure, what area can I help in? And so the, the, the three T's. And, and so I remember my pastor said that years ago at the church. And to me, it, it's just so fitting for our boys and girls clubs because uh, I go out and I have friends that are mechanics. I have, well, I don't have anything. You do have something to offer. There's kids that love their cars. cars. Absolutely. I mean, I could go on and on. My sister was a teacher at Hudson for years. She teaches cosmetology. There's, you know, the, the, the young boys and girls would love to learn how to cut hair or, you know, uh, manicures and pedicures and whatever it may be. And that's the time, talent, and treasure. If we can use those three T's and every time we approach somebody and they say, well, what can I do? I can't do it. No, you can. Do you have time? Well, well, can you give us one one day a month or one hour a month? And, right. But I think once, um, Blake is so powerful because that question is, if we just get him in our clubs, it's addictive. It's a good addiction. Right. When you get in, you're going to want to do something. Absolutely. Just because by seeing the kids. Just seeing the kids and seeing the directors, that they don't make a ton of money, but their love of the children. And then being able to be a part of that is so powerful. Absolutely. I was just in the Boys and Girls Club. I was at Monte Brown's yesterday. And um, just seeing the kids, and I just yeah. see myself. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're like, look at these kids. You know what I mean? Like, you want to give them, especially my mindset. Like, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm very soft-hearted. Always want to help people. Always felt like my purpose was to help people. Like, you know, and that's a whole another different story. But just to see these kids, and I'm like, they need us. They need someone. So I love what you said about the three T's. I wrote it down right here, yeah. and I'm definitely going to take that. I'm, I'm stealing that. So no, shout out to your pastor. Definitely, because if we all work together in thoughts and ideas like this, because I feel like right now, what, my three girls, had, they, they've saved their money when they were in high school and college, and I just remember that as they saved their money, they always wanted to fly somewhere and go somewhere. They just wanted to see the world. And I really believe that's one reason that a lot of young people in our clubs, you don't see prejudices. Why? Because they're introduced to a nutting pot of people. I used to joke about like the United Nations. It's people from all over. You get to learn cultures. You get to learn. And I really believe when people are, are caught in their own little area and that's all they know, it's easy to get your prejudices. But when you're introduced to areas, I lived in camps with, with Hispanics and blacks, and we were all family. We were all a team. 
And that, to me, the Boys and Girls Club are about teams. It's about getting together. Let's do this together. Let's make things happen. And, and we see great results. Absolutely. And so that's why I think that it's a strong testimony of the commitment of leadership like George Kapansky and John Wellens. And, and um, there's just so many good people at our clubs. And getting these kids in or adults, especially as you're touching on, getting the adults to our clubs and introduced to our clubs, to me, should be um, uh, for front of uh, front and foremost with our companies and after company employees get involved with our clubs and once they're in there they're going to be they're going to be attached absolutely you gave me an idea for an idea that i'm gonna gonna try later on not even try i'm gonna do listen one last question for you Uh i got you um like i said this podcast i always like to ask people you know like overcoming things right Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna ask you this question you might have to think on it you might know it at the top of your head what has been the greatest struggle you had to overcome um and then how do you how did you use that? I think the um, I you know, I my father probably I, I my father was a hardworking man, but he was also very physical growing up. Um, and I really I think early on, um, it he he struck us and you know and and it, it gave me a fear hmm. as a child. And and if probably it wasn't for the church is. You know, God doesn't give us the fear, of, uh, the spirit of fear. He gives us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And I just, you know, my message to our young people and, and even adults a lot of times that need to hear this, because sometimes if you're not careful with that fear, it becomes bitterness mm-hmm. and hate. And so I just remember that God gave me peace over that, and, and it really helped me because my old trainer, Marty Feldman, said, Hey, Dave, he said, imagine the opponent he, he I, God put people in my life like uh, Gus and, 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 and uh, Marty Feldman and Ernie, older men that in my young career that started speaking truth. And it contradicted the, the negative that I had in my mind. And um, I would say um, then knowing that through my, my, my church time that we're more than conquerors is... I had to start claiming these things. And when I started claiming them, I went into the ring as a lion, not as a sheep. Mm. And but but so much of it, they were like people see tapes of me and they're like, man, man, you were a beast. And I'm like, you know what though? I had to make I had to make the, the spirit and mind alteration. And you know, uh, Zig Ziglar, the famous writer, said, mm-hmm. we need to do it. Zig. Oh, Zig's phenomenal. He Zig, said, we Jim need Rome, to all of them guys. You're gonna love this quote because you probably remember it when you right. read Zig. We need to every single day of our lives do a checkup from the neck up. And to me, that's all. If, if we start doing that, the way we treat people, the way we talk to people, the way we love people, you know, I'm not going to make somebody else's problem my problem. And when somebody wants to get all irritated and everything else, then I have no problem to walk away. You know what? I, I'm going to be there to love you if you want to be loved. Right. But I am not going to be a sourpuss. I'm not going to be the one. And so... That that's such a powerful question because I feel like you know when I look at my childhood and then I as, as I got older, and if it, my church and of course Ernie and the guys in my life and and um, Andy Andy Urkel and they would always end up you know before I went in the ring, Marty said, you know the problem with this fight is, he said, do you know why your opponent made the mistake? I said, what's that? He said he made the mistake of showing up. Does he know he's fighting you? And then, but it was empowerment. It was telling me, Dave. You know what? And then, but then the compliment what Marty said is with, with the pastor and what the Bible was saying, you know, you're more than a conqueror. 
you know, you can do all things. That was my favorite verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do, now he doesn't say some things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I think of those verses, I, I, don't, I not only think about them, but I claim them because that's mine. Right. And, you know, when I claim it, but when I go in and do what I have to do, and then we have a society today that in a lot of cases there's families struggling. And I had a choice to make, and I can ramble on this, but I had a choice to make that I could pass to my three daughters what was passed to me. And I said, I'm not going to pass that curse on to my three daughters. I am not going to strike my daughters. I'm going to communicate with my daughters. I'm going to love my daughters. I'm going to empower my daughters. I'm going to claim victory over my daughters. And my wife and I were in agreement. So when we came into agreement, it's called done. The Bible says when more than two of us shall come in agreement, we call it done. So when we came together, my wife and I confirmed that we are going to love our kids. We're going to empower our kids and encourage our kids. Our girls are very balanced. They're very strong. And, and that's why I said, I don't care if somebody has, if somebody at our clubs or if, if anybody's battling, listening to this, this cast, if anybody's struggling, then you need to pull back and say, do, do the Zig Ziglar, the check up from the neck up, self-evaluate and say, wait a minute, am I living in the past? Am I living what my aunt told me, what my grandmom told me, what my dad told me? Or am I living in the future where I'm going to say, I know I'm going after that and I'm going to go after it. But if you're going to keep living in the past, you're not going to get anywhere. You're, you're going to continue to, to, to walk in mud and quicksand. Absolutely. So. Listen, that was great, man. Listen, I could, like I said, I can ask you 30 more questions. <laughs> we'll probably be a two-hour podcast. Be like, we, that's too long. But listen, uh, David has been tremendous uh, opportunity to interview you. Great energy. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed Listen, it. We, oh my gosh, this has been amazing, yeah, man. Yeah, this is very well, we can, I told you, Thanks, we can Mike. keep going, man. We yeah. can keep going, but I know we got to go. Well, this won't be our last. So this we'll won't be our last. To... We're definitely going to do like a part two, part four. It's going to be a, like a boxing match. You know, you got to get in there. That's right. Well, listen, Dave, I appreciate you. Thank you guys have been listening to the Boys and Girls of Delaware podcast. I'm your host, Blake the Brain, Dave Tiberi. Thank you. Let's go. Perfect.